Yeah, it's empathy is a pretty divisive word, actually. And I didn't know that until founding this company. But the way that I understand empathy is accurate understanding. So that's how we define it. If you accurately understand another person, um, they experience trust and rapport and alliance and all these other things associated with empathy. So it's not like a warm fuzziness. It's do you feel understood? And that's a relational understanding as well. It's not one person deciding I'm empathic and I did all the right things. So therefore I have empathy. No, that person needs to feel accurately understood and in alliance with you and building trust. This is Found in the Rockies, a podcast about the startup ecosystem in the Rocky Mountain region, featuring the founders, funders, and contributors, and most importantly, the stories of what they're building. I'm Les Craig from Next Frontier Capital, and on today's episode, we're going to get empathetic. I'm so excited to feature Grin Lord, CEO and founder of Empathic, and Brian Williams, who is the VP of Engineering at Empathic. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here, Les. I'm so excited to have you both. And I'm actually today, I'm going to start off with an apology. Is that okay? Can I do that? Absolutely. You didn't see this coming. No, the apology I'm going to make is I'm a bit of a psychopathic host, which is the opposite of empathetic, right? So that may be the most empathetic thing, behavior I exhibit all day. I'm I'm teasing. I'm, I'm I'm totally teasing. This is going to be super fun. We're going to talk all about empathy. We're going to talk all about startups. And we're maybe dabble a little bit in some AI. A little bit. A little bit. Not too much. That that is my trigger word. We're not going into GPT. We're not going to. Look at that. Let's talk about that. Let's start there. What is this GPT thing you speak of? All right. (laughs) No. All right. That's not what this episode's about. I, in fact, what this episode's about is stories. I want to hear your stories. Brian, you want to go first? You know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let's hear where you where you grew up, what brought you to this this company. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up I grew up outside of Chicago and I've gone through two startups and love working for startups. And both of those were successful next and learned a ton of those. And one of the core beliefs that I, I kind of build at those startups is really leading with empathy. And there's been some great publications over the years like Forbes and others on how important empathy is ship and got connected to Grin through a coworker of mine that I work with both Elastic and Grafana with Catherine Johnson. And she's a co-founder and Grin can tell the story on how they cross paths. But yeah, it got introduced to Empathic and Grin through her and, and kind of turned on the opportunity to rejoin the startup world. Love what we're doing and love what we're doing here. Super fun. And so what about, so you started in started in the Midwest, but you're not there anymore, right? No. Oh yeah, I'm out in Denver. Yeah. Denver? Yeah, out, out in Denver, yeah. So the first startup I worked for when we exited, I... We got acquired by a company that's headquartered here in Colorado, and they've always been a big skier my entire life. So super fun to to get to move out here with that acquisition back in 2006, it was. Wow. And yeah. Been, been out here since. It's a great place to live and work. Amazing. What's your favorite What's your favorite mountain in the Colorado area? Where do you ski? I'm on Vias. I'm Vias. So we were actually, we had a home and we're actually building. We sold it and up in Winter Park. So I'm a little biased. My, my daughter's on a ski team up there. So that is our go-to mountain. And we spend a lot of weekends. Not a bad, not a bad way to spend a weekend. No, I'll, I'll agree with you. I'll agree with you. Both, both in season and out of ski season. Beautiful area. Oh yeah. All the seasons, except for mud season, mud season. Which is kind of right now, but well, anyway, we won't dwell on that. That's why I'm here talking to you last. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only way we could get him on the podcast. He said, mud season. All right. You got it, Brian. Grin, what about you? What's, what's your story? Where, where'd you grow up and kind of how did it all evolve? You're probably going to have to stop me because as a psychologist, like we spend a lot of time reflecting on how we all grew up and evolved. So yeah, like when I was born, no, but literally. So I was raised in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, and actually my father, his grandfather, or his father, rather my grandfather. I never met him, but he actually was raised in Bozeman. And my dad was born in Billings. And my grandfather built the airport out there, the original airport. Incredible. Yes. And then my grandfather met my grandmother and they moved to Hutchinson, Minnesota, which is where there was a large glue factory. And that is what became 3M. 
but oh wow so this is like you know back in the day my parents are actually my dad's like in his late 80s so this is like much farther back um so anyway so that's how they settled into minnesota and i was there also a midwest with brian and then in high school they they're wildlife filmmakers by the way so i spent a long time in an RV in the summers traveling also through Montana, but through all the national parks. And then in high school, they decided they wanted to move into the RV full-time to do filmmaking full-time. So I actually went to boarding school first in Switzerland, then in California, and then eventually went to college in Walla Walla, Washington. And then I moved to Spain and then I was deported from Spain and I was deported to Seattle. And that's how I've ended up in Seattle. That's how you ended up in Seattle. Wow. This is a long story. What a journey. Yeah. And some of the work you did in Seattle, you were at the University of Washington for, for a little while, right? Yeah. Actually, when I got d- deported to Seattle, it wasn't a formal deportation. We can have a different story about that. I, I was going to say, maybe that's like a different pod, maybe a different podcast. That's what it's a little different podcast. It was on paperwork era. I was doing the right things. I was trying to do the right things. Anyway. Very, yeah, whatever. So I moved to Seattle kind of unintentionally and started working for Harborview Medical Center, mainly because it was next to my apartment. And I was like, I want to volunteer here and I want to learn about the emergency department. I want to figure out, you know, how hospitals work and started there. And that eventually kind of started the origin story for Empathic as I was recruited into a research study there where we were looking at folks that were using Empathic listening in the emergency department and ICU and started to evaluate some of the you know outcomes of doing that research, especially because we are a level one trauma center and we get a lot of accidents, a lot of drunk driving accidents in particular as well, and kind of used some of these techniques to create you know transformative outcomes for patients. So That is how like the story, you know, of this company in some ways started was when I started at the the hospital there. I see. You said something that I want to peel back and and it actually, Brian alluded to it as well, but I want to peel this topic back a little bit. Empathic listening. What is this? What is this thing you speak of called empathic listening? Yeah, it's empathy is a pretty divisive word, actually. And I didn't know that until founding this company, but the way that I understand empathy is accurate understanding. So that's how we define it. If you accurately understand another person, uh, they experience trust and rapport and alliance and all these other things associated with empathy. So it's not like a warm fuzziness. It's do you feel understood? And that's a relational understanding as well. It's not one person deciding I'm empathic and I did all the right things, so therefore I have empathy. It's like, no, that person needs to feel accurately understood and in alliance with you and building trust. So we actually, you know, have a ton of different behaviors and psychological constructs and emotions that we model at our company. But we started with empathy because it's the most important thing. You can understand your customer. You can meet their needs. You can understand your patient or your colleague. It's like foundational in all relationships. So that's why we started with empathy. Yeah, what a superpower. I mean, it really is. It's foundational for, I mean, in life, I would say. It is. Yeah, 100%. And it's been fun working with engineers like Brian and other people that, you know, we've been studying the science of empathy for a long time as psychologists. And we know kind of like the formula and what are the key ingredients to improving conversations. And then having this very cross-disciplinary approach with machine learning. AI engineers and then bringing them into the fold of like how this all works has been a great process. Very cool. And Brian, I got to I got to say, you said the word empathy in your intro. That may be the first time I ever heard an engineer speak that word. It's and I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I <laughs> But it's not something that you, you they get a bad rap. They're highly proud of it. <laughs> I know, I know they get a bad rap. But it's like oh, for you, this seems like it's been part of your, your career journey, the importance of understanding this, internalizing it as an engineer. Is that right? I mean, that's absolutely right. I mean, it's really it's really interesting for me, and there's a lot of parallels that I think just in, in my background, they you know, the last startup I said is a group of people that we've worked together for twenty years. Mm. And that's pretty unusual and a lot of these foundational skills and building relationships and having trust and rapport and all these things, I think are directly attributed to the success that we had and working together over those 20 some 20 plus years. And yeah, I mean, it, it directly relates and, you know, you started touching on there a little bit less. It's really exciting to take 
you know, the psychological backing and, and the models and everything we're doing empathic and apply these to all these different verticals in these unique ways using technology. It's super fun space to be in and, and very exciting. And what we do. Very, very cool. And so, so Grin, at this point, you have, you've started to sort of test out some, some different, some of these different theories in practice working at this, at this trauma center. What was sort of the evolution from that to eventually starting a company? What are some of the intermediate steps? Yeah. So the trial, the first trial that we did at Harborview, when we did this kind of brief intervention with folks coming into the emergency department where we, we accepted them for who they were. We didn't tell them how to live their life or what to do. And we just like listened to them with empathy. The folks that got that intervention had major drops in their drinking and those effects held for the next three years, just from a 15 minute conversation. They had a 46% reduction in readmission to the hospital, which saved Harborview millions of dollars because this was a population of folks that, you know, would get into accidents frequently. And that's compared to treatment as usual, which is telling people, hey, you did something bad and shame on you and you need to get back into why did you go off the wagon, whatever. So learning about this approach, you know, really helped people improve treatment outcomes, but also had like cost effectiveness for hospitals. So I was actually tasked with scaling this nationally to all level one trauma centers as part of another research trial and like initiative. Currently, we estimate it saves about $2.6 billion to have folks doing these interventions in hospitals at scale. But one thing we learned with that is that it's actually really difficult to train these behaviors. We did two-day workshops, PowerPoint presentations, things like that, and found that you can't learn empathy from a PowerPoint. Like, <laughs> surprise. So, <laughs> like, you know, and we're, we're seeing this a lot, too, in, like, DEIB initiatives where people are getting coached to talk differently. And they, it's like very hard to just be like, look at this slide, now do things different. You need to have like a coach, almost like learning a sport. You need to have someone listen to exactly what you said and say, hey, right there, see how you did that? Like, this is the skill you're using. Here's the new skill that you need to use. Let's role play it. Let's do it. So I ended up being part of this thing called the Clinical Trials Network. It was one of the largest phone coaching studies to date where we would take recordings of doctors and therapists talking to their patients and say, these are all the good things, the bad things you did. And psychologists would hand correct these, listen to this, and then call the doctor up and be like, all right, here's your feedback. And let's, that was what we had to do in early 2000s. <laughs> yeah, some have a little bit better bedside manner than others. Like I've been there. We've all experienced it, right? Oh my gosh. So true. And what a data set. Yeah. I could get on a tangent about that too. I think we have this phrase and the psychology field and the therapy field called the magic door. And the magic door is when you go into the therapy room and you close the door and it's confidential that everything in there must be good because training programs for therapists right now very rarely have actual evaluation. So like a surgeon, you watch what they do. Oh, yeah. You're not going to go let them into surgery unless they have a lot of people that, but for therapists, it's like this private area. So Particularly in psychology, we were really interested in applying this technology because we were like, we don't believe in magic doors. Like, what are you doing in there? And like, let's understand it and let's improve you just like any other medical doctor. So that was actually our first product was we automated feedback to therapists 2009. That was first speech signal processing pipeline in at least in academia. I mean, like things like AWS Transcribe, like all the tools we have now didn't exist. Exactly. Yeah, you know, we forget how that seems like it wasn't that long ago, but technologically it was it was a different age. It was the stone age. Yeah. It took us about like six hours to process, you know, a twenty minute call and get instant real time performance. <laughs> but I think that was like what we could do with the processing speed and the tech. And like it was incredible that they built that, you know, in house. This was a collaboration with the University of Washington, USC, UC Irvine, University of Utah also. That commercialized into our first startup where we were like, okay, we can do this at scale and train people and give them feedback. And that, you know, is a largely academic project with researchers. But for me, I was like, I see the potential for this to help everyone. Like anyone could listen with empathy. Was that was that project that it transitioned to? Was that Empathy Rocks? Is that no, so Empathy Rocks came after. So well, yeah, I get so listen was my first startup. And then Left listen, went to Uper, which is a conversational therapy chatbot, did empathy improvements to their chatbot as well. 
And there's some interesting research studies coming out of that right now showing how people trust these chatbots equal or more than humans because they feel like they can talk about things. So it's a whole nother tangent. Well, I was going to say that's like that's a really that's a really interesting topic in terms of like when I think of chatbots, I think of the opposite of it's like not only not empathetic, but annoying. But if you can train it, is that what we're doing? Where you could train a chatbot essentially to be empathetic? Yeah, we did at Uber. And and yeah, I can't. We did a lot of internal studies that showed amazing business outcomes when that happened in terms of people establishing initial trust and converting to the product quickly when they felt that initial rapport established. And yeah, they ended up publishing some research studies coming out of that, that, you know, not only was the bot effective at impacting health outcomes, like reducing anxiety and depression, but also that people felt that they could be more honest to the bot because it wouldn't judge them. And so they would talk about, you know, traumas or things or feelings and thoughts that they thought were not acceptable for humans to hear. So it was kind of an interesting thing because there's so much pushback right now about this kind of AI and mental health and and that also was, that was 2019, that that was, I was part of that work. So it's a topical thing now, but it's been ongoing. I can imagine a chatbot like, oh, it doesn't pass the Turing test because I can tell it's a chatbot. It's too empathetic. A human being could never be. That's not, not humanity. We're, we're in that mode right now. So with LLMs, like I can train an LLM on transcripts of the most empathic therapists that are recorded and every one of their treatment manuals and every YouTube video they've ever done in training in, in wow. seconds and have them be that in the conversation. So like we are, this is not sci-fi anymore. Like we can take the top quality. I mean, you could even extend this to like, you know, putting like, I don't know, figures historically that everyone is like, wow, I love this and putting them into one kind of bot. So you're right that making it more human would be almost the opposite, like trying to make it fallible and like have an ego and like, yeah, and it's like offended by you and it doesn't want to talk. And it's like, you know, like these are real things. So yeah, I mean, AI generated podcasts, that's going to be the next thing lost. Brian, you're going to put me out of work here. Don't you dare say that. <laughs> <laughs> it's happening. It's happening. <laughs> I'm going to train a model on your podcast, Les, and then we'll... Oh, my goodness. World is not ready for that that madness. Yeah. Brian, so where were, so where were you in all this in terms of like, when did you finally... You said you got, a, you got an introduction. When did you sort of get just lit on fire about the opportunity here and decide to jump at it? Oh, I mean, it was last year. I mean, yeah. So I, last year I started to, you know, contemplate what's next and starting to evaluate like startups. My network was, you know, I had opportunities available and could make introductions. I said, Grafana at the time and ready to, to get back to, you know, small company startup where I can make a big impact, you know, leverage mostly what I've been doing for the past, you know, 25 years. So yeah, yeah. I joined Empathic August of last year. What's what Brian's not telling you that's kind of funny and is that we also interviewed his wife who applied for sales and sounds. No, that's a whole separate, that's a whole separate podcast as well. She went, she did, she came before Brian and was very excited about the idea of empathy. And I didn't actually know that they were together and was evaluating them and like, I want to hire these people. And, they're, and then at the end, they were like, you can only ask what? What are first that I didn't even know so? Which had not, would not have been the first time we had worked together. We actually both worked together at Elastic, so. Oh, wow. Amazing. No. That's super fun. So, Brian, what gets you the most excited about, you know, somebody that, that you know, clearly cares about this, this, this category, this opportunity, but as a technologist, where do you, what gets you most excited about working on in this space on a, on a daily basis? Just the opportunity we have, right? I mean, there's so many different verticals, so many different applications of what we're doing. I mean, when you think of this, everything from, you know, sales to medical, which we talked about today here, getting into like, you know, customer service, the list just goes on and on where I think this one, it's a market that I feel not a lot of folks have spent a lot of time exploring and the number of different ways we can take what we have here at Empathic can really have an impact and just on how humans came, which is everywhere. Well, think when you think about that, that's just every everywhere and in, in everything we do every day. Yeah, I think about it too, like in a world of, of like where it's increasingly important to to build trust. We used to, it used to be a part of 
our daily lives because we were we built trust with the people who, like like you know who are the people in your neighborhood like those are the people we interacted with those are the people that we build trust with in a very human connected way personal way but physically physical presence too i mean think, think about how covid has changed us in the virtual world that we all live in now and you know just how that has changed things and had an impact and how we establish some of these you know things like trust and empathy and things like that, it's more difficult and more challenging in this virtual world that we are in post-pandemic. Yeah, I mean, the opportunity is big. When did, Grin, when did it sort of develop then from sort of like this, it seems like directionally it's moving towards Empathic. Then, by the way, for our listeners, that's the name of the company. Oh, yes. And <laughs> I keep saying Empathic. I'm like, if I don't spell it out without the E, they might not even know what we're talking about. We're, Grin, why don't you tell us a little bit about that, the name? and the- Yes, Empathic with an M dot AI. And yeah, so I guess getting back into that story, I kind of, I wanted to teach everyone how to listen with empathy. I wanted to leave kind of this academic world of hyper-focus on people that already were highly trained and getting into folks that are not highly trained, like, yeah, customer service agents that are following a script or your boss that's very, you know, non-empathic. So that's where I wanted to go. But in order to make that leap, I needed to build basically all new models and training data, even though I had it all in the academic setting. You can't bring that over into a commercial operation. So I created Empathy Rocks, which was the training game for therapists. And what we did was actually teach them on this game how to respond in real time to different comments that folks were leaving in um, support forums on Reddit, or they had put them publicly out, you know, for people to respond to. We put those responses into the game and had actual licensed therapists respond to them using empathy skills like reflective listening, open-ended questions, affirmations, and then rank each other's statements and correct them. And in doing that, they would earn continuing education credits. And we would have this data flywheel of labeled data where no patient information was involved and the therapists were earning, you know, their continuing education credits. So we were able to have hundreds of thousands of, you know, data points labeled without necessarily having to source actual therapy conversations or medical conversations or employee, you know which eventually now we do have because we're integrated, but that was how we avoided this cold start problem and really created a data set that could be used for this kind of grammarly for empathy idea of auto-correcting people in real time. And that actually was one small feature of the Empathy Rocks game was like, it was like, correct me, change change this so that we could have better data. And I remember a moment when one of our advisors in our accelerator was like, is is that is that the pro like are you gonna do that and i was like yeah we're just gonna do that so, <laughs> so yeah that was kind of how it started and then we chose to do this api first approach of giving other SaaS companies the ability to do real-time correction and analytics of these many different behaviors including empathy but we actually have 90 different things that we detect in terms of behavioral markers of how conversations are going and that's that's how it started and and yes and then brian came last year when I realized that, yes, there's definitely an ML and NLP component to this. Like this is an AI company, but actually when AI companies are successful, they have some verticalization and they have built a product or platform around themselves that fundamentally is a software feed. And so I needed top tier, you know, engineers and people that have been doing this in startup spaces to take kind of my domain expertise and like, psychological stuff and really productize it into something that people would use would be enterprise ready. They have all the security, all these things that are really important when you're analyzing, you know, sensitive conversations. Yeah, for sure. So I like the concept really unique for our listeners, just to rewind a little bit, Grammarly for empathy. Pretty cool conceptually to think about that. And also, you know, yeah, what I think when I consider you, you mentioned these sort of 90 attributes or, or you know, sort of some of the tagging that you do. You know, I, I think for the common, you know, person like, like myself, I, I, it's like empathy. You know it when you see it kind of thing. Like, oh, that's empathetic. But there's a, the science behind this is much deeper than just that. Is that right? Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit, the science? Oh, well, absolutely. And so part of the reason we started with empathy is because there is a science 
base to it. We know exactly what the words, phrases, and behaviors are that lead to positive outcomes, even across cultures. Like there's pretty robust literature around this. So one of the, I'll, I'll first start not with the behaviors, but some of the indicators that a conversation is going well and it's empathic. And one of the ones that's pretty robust is this concept of synchrony. So if you really like someone and you're getting along with them, you'll start to synchronize in the words you use your pacing, even your placement of things like prepositions and adverbs and like very unconscious things that you can't, you can't actually pretend to do this. Like you can try to use the same words, but if you really like them unconsciously, you start to mirror them and get into this way. And and we even notice that people that are like in power in the conversation will typically be the ones that synchronize to the person not in power. So like, and it'd be like the manager to the employee or the doctor, to the patient. It's, it's not like a mutual thing. It's when that person's being empathic, they start to synchronize. So we measure that. That's one of the things that we look at in behaviors that you really can't train. It's kind of either you have it or you don't. And we think of that as like 10% of this slice of empathy and that 90% of the other behaviors are trainable. <laughs> and those are the things that we like to correct and prompt. So, you know, as I see, I see. So if you really like them, you start to synchronize, you start to mirror them. You, you, oh, am I doing that right now? Oh, 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 it's going to happen. So, that actually happens on our, our sales calls through. It's it's funny. In, in a serious note, I mean, it, it yeah, it makes sense. Like we all can, I think we, we experience that. And so for the other 90%, though, that's the 10% sliver. For the other 90%, which is, I mean, a universe of things, how do you pick apart that problem? And maybe Brian, chime in technically about how. Yeah, you can talk about trivial. it. Hey, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, from a technical perspective, it's the models. And then I think one of the most exciting things that we have is the fact that we have a, you know, top tier expert labeling team that are trained clinically rooted in psychology, looking at the data from perspective. Um, and I think it's one of our really unique value propositions is taking that data and using that to, to train our models, build our models, and actually using that in real world settings to do our detections through our API and, and to get that unique perspective on being able to analyze these conversations. It's, it's really exciting. And I think it's, you know, something unique that we're able to do in Pathic and, and Mother is why I joined. Yeah, the way that the API is structured that Brian has actually had a, a huge impact on is this idea of a modular detections of things that are going, you know, good or bad in the conversation. So we detect the different behaviors. Examples of that would be like, I detect when you're making a confrontation. I detect when you've given me an affirmation or a supportive statement. You know, we're detecting all of those things. Then we give them a tip which is typically vertical specific and expert led. So for sales, it would be like to close the deal, do this. Whereas for, you know, a medical setting, it might be try using an I statement to like express your concern. And then we give a correction, which is this generative AI piece where we're taking what they said and say, let's translate that confront into an I statement. And here's how you should say what you intend to say. And like you can accept or reject that or use that in the conversation next or use that as a highlight. Look, all of our customers use the tips differently, but this kind of three-part structure, Brian's been really instrumental in kind of creating that so that our customers can decide, do we want to just detect problems and good things or do we really want this real-time coaching and like go the next step all the way? That's what I wanted to emphasize. We're talking real. This is real time. This eight. You could be doing it in this podcast, Les. Like you could be getting the real time feedback on like, are you establishing synchrony? Like all these metrics, all these 90 plus behavior. Actually, we should rerun. We can do that, Brian. Let's run this afterwards and produce a report. No, we literally can. We oh my goodness. Oh, what? We'll send it over. All right. We'll send it over. It's behind this. Never mind. We'll put it in the show notes, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it'll, be the, it'll be the cancellation of season three. Uh, but oh, it's, it's really good. Let's do that. I'd love it. I think it'd be really cool. I think it'd be really yeah. cool. Yeah. Okay. We, we have some models too that we're developing that I'm noticing are happening on this call. So not just synchrony, but we have this thing called synchrony moments. And it's where people, when they're like really getting along, they start to repeat each other a little bit. So it's like another form of mirroring. So you'd be like, yeah, yeah, I got it. Right, 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 right. Yeah. <laughs> like, and like things start happening where people say little phrases and like get excited. We would have a lot of that. I knew I was going to get psychoanalyzed on this call. But... <laughs> it begins. 
the next product then is going to be about engineers working with deep breathing. That would be fun. That would be fun. So, so what are some of the industries? I wanna, I just, I like. Is there anything you could? I mean, the, the philosophically, such a cool company, and I'm not just saying that because we're, nice, <laughs> but I mean, that's, it's, it is such a cool company, and so many applications. Where are you finding the most traction? Like, at, you know, with some of these early use cases, like where's the impact high, and and the, and the you know the conversations with customers? Yeah, exciting. So given that I cut my teeth in the medical space, we did do medical applications. One of the first things we did was AI-assisted fidelity monitoring to replace actual humans and doctors that are evaluating conversations to say, is this medical conversation going well or not? So our AI has been deployed with a customer at scale to do that, where we've shown a 10x cost savings compared to actual human doctors reviewing these calls. And we can review 100% of sessions in, like, for example, a medical trial to, to assist with some of that and flag problematic areas, whereas typically you would only get 10% of those calls reviewed by humans. Cost prohibitive, right? It's, it's completely cost prohibitive, which is why folks like the FDA and others don't require that. Um, they say you're going to have 10% spot checked. But with AI, there's this possibility. And um, just to be clear, the FDA does not allow for AI to do this on its own. It has to be assisted right now. But there's a world that's better for both the consumers and companies that are doing, for example, drug testing, things like this, where 100% your trial can be evaluated at scale in real time. So that's one application that, you know, has been evolving for us and we're like wanting to explore more. But initially we validated a bunch of markets. We looked at HR SaaS platforms. We have one company, Humanly, here in Seattle. They use us to power their recruiting platform. They've had an 8% increase in candidate acceptance rate for folks that are more empathic and that are taking these empathic suggestions. So we looked at that and then now we finally come down to sales and are starting to predict the close rate of sales and use real-time coaching at scale. And that's in the next 24 months, what we want to start to dig into more is understanding how empathy can work in the sales cycle, especially because with the advent of GPT-4, a lot of, I hate to say this, but a lot of sales reps are going to be replaced. Like, probably going to have a lot of email campaigns that will no longer be handwritten. And so the part that will matter in the sales cycle is that empathic connection. So one of our customers that were deployed with, I guess, kind of a blend between sales and customer service is actually an insurance claims. And when people call in with like a car accident or they've lost someone and the first person they have to talk to is an agent on the other end, you know, there's only so much that you can do by saying, well, we're going to reimburse the car, you know, that person has to express immediate empathy and understanding just like they would in a medical setting. So the commonality for a lot of our customers is this sense of really enhancing humans to do what humans do best rather than automating them away. We know that that's coming and it's going to happen in text and things. But in the conversation, the conversation is the last frontier, right? Like no one wants to lose humans. But humans are very variable in expressing empathy and some of them don't do it that well. So like we're trying to help them do that better across these kind of use cases. It's a horizontal product, but we're starting with the sales medical, proving that out. And we have some great HRSS as well. Yeah, it's great, great, great use cases. Very exciting. Brian, What are, from the technology perspective, what excites you the most about just current trends and, you know, kind of enhancing, I would assume, where you're already going and what the opportunity is there to just capitalize on on yeah it's such an exciting time i think you said earlier last where it seemed like 2019 or something like that was was a like time ago in the space it seems like last week was a lifetime ago in the space <laughs> so much happening and, you know we have folks like open ai and others that are just really kind of you know paving the path for these conversations around how ai can be used in different ways it's great for us because they're you know starting these conversations so that's probably the most exciting to me. I'm excited to see what happens in the space around LLS and, and how that gets commoditized. And, you know, like there's, we, we've seen this before in technology and, and a lot of different areas. And it's going to happen again in the AIML space of like, who is going to win this battle of commoditizing large language models and really making it available for, for folks like Empathic and other enterprises to, you know, be able to implement and, and do really creative things with and have it kind of be the next thing that we see all this innovation happen on top of and do great things with. So that's the most exciting to me. And it's, it's changing. 
weekly. Yeah, it's, I think a lot of startups are in a similar position to us where, well, just to step back a bit, we were early partners with OpenAI in 2020. So we had generative language capability, which was some of the magic that when people would use Empathic, they were like, oh, we, well, how did it do that? You know, and, and now, you know, a lot of people understand the concept of rewriting something with generative AI. Yeah. So L- less, less explaining to do for sure. <laughs> Yeah, 100%. And, but now there's like a lot of competitors to OpenAI and there's like new applications. There's auto ML, self-prompting ML, it's evolving. So a lot of startups right now, I think in the AI space are trying to figure out where to go next with their products. And we have a head start because we've been working on this for a while with LLMs and like have been doing this. But I think many of us are in a, a stage right now with our products of like, okay, how do we make this turnkey specific to a vertical so it's accessible to people? But as soon as we make a decision on like, all right, here's the LLM and here's the play and here's the AI, it's like, it's like sniffing. And like, we made this joke this morning. I'm like, okay, on the senior leadership team, only like one hour spent on AI updates in the news. Otherwise we won't, <laughs> won't build a product because they'll be like, oh, oh, now here's this and here's this. And so we're just kind of like in this mode of continuing to do what we do best, which is at the domain expertise. But like these tools are, yeah, super fast. So folks like Brian are just in a constant flux of here's our core product and like, how are we going to now integrate the best in class? Yeah. What about, so I think about when I introduced my mom, I showed her ChatGPT and she didn't really understand it, but then she finally got it. Like I would, I think if she, she, by the way, hi mom, I know she's listening to the uh, this episode. <laughs> but like if she listened to if she listened to this episode, she would probably be like, well, wait a minute, like empathic does this. Like I could go in chat GPT and say, I'm trying to fire an employee. Here's what I'm going to tell them: make it empathetic. Yeah, and it'll do it. It'll do it. Absolutely. But it, you know, so my mom asking a question for her mom. How is this different? Well. There's, there's multiple ways it's different. One is like GPT is trained really well in documents. So like if I were to write an email or like, like a job description or something like that, like it's very good. Conversationally, I don't know if you've ever listened to like a David Mamet play or like some sort of conversations, like it's not the input and the output. They look a little bit different and the real time nature of like how the suggestions and corrections are given needs to be quite fast. So what happens with just like doing a large prompt like that is it's fairly slow. The training data comes from documents. And one of the other things we see with GPT-4 when it doesn't use, by the way, we use GPT-4 in our products. We build on top of this, but we have a layers. What, what makes our product different is we have these proprietary detections that were built by psychologists, like find this behavior, find this exact thing that is occurring in a medical conversation that's definitely not part of the training data of GPT-4, nor is the domain expertise around like this particular way that, for example, like psychosis is, I you started the show with that, but we actually have models of things like unusual reactions. So, like th- these are not things that GPT-4 understands how to detect or like handle in conversation, but we can leverage it by feeding it those things and saying, okay, in this conversation, we would like to take this detection and like translate it into this other thing and have GPT see the examples from us and generate it at a sentence level. When you just put in a whole document, like what you're talking about with like, I want to talk to my employer, it will do something and it's likely going to start to be repetitive. So if you had, I'm just like, this is an actual situation. If you had a manager who was like, we're going to send out performance reviews and everyone was like, GPT, write my performance review for me that's empathic. There's going to be a lot of repetition in in that over time. And it also will optimize for being overly polite, which is, isn't necessarily empathic, like it has a slightly different definition. So anyway, long story short, we've optimized it for conversation, novelty, and specificity for the exact behaviors, which is very hard to do with one generic prompt. And it's a little bit harder. But I mean, on like just being very humble here, like this technology is evolving extremely fast. And so one of the things that we do is we're constantly evaluating our proprietary models against these large language models to see like, did it learn? Did it catch up? Where are we differentiated? How do we use it? Because there's certain things we detect, like an open ended and closed ended question that quite frankly, it's not a super big 
you know, differentiator between something like GPT, but our more nuanced models are. And the amalgamation and the interpretation of that into a product is, is ultimately what we're offering. But I love that your mom is doing that and she definitely should. And I encourage everyone, like, use this product, like, see what's possible now, because now you have the ability to extend yourself and your abilities and your brainstorming with, like, another, you know, model to help you. You know, my grandmother was still on a rotary phone when I introduced her to the cell phone. And so, like, I'm just trying to keep my generations of (laughs) people I love, like, up to date, you know. But anyway, what I I got a question for both of you that I want you both, both to take a shot at if you're up for it. And that is what has been sort of an unexpected challenge along this journey of building a company like this? And and second, actually, so it's two questions for each of you. And second of that is what is something that in the future that, you, you know, you're, you're really excited about that may, may also be a challenge, but something that you're excited about pushing forward into over the next, you know, year or more. Right, right. Brian, you want to take it? Who wants it? to go first? Brian? Uh, I don't want to go first. All right, like I remember your questions last. There's two of them stacked. Yeah, that throws me up. I'm trying to give you a little time. We'll, do, we'll just take the challenge, an unexpected challenge. Take the challenge. Take the challenge. You know, I, I've done, I, I think the biggest challenge is, you know, API first, enterprise SaaS sales are, are challenging, right? Like we're going after, you know, large companies and selling an API and that takes time. And it certainly is a challenge that pays big dividends in the end. And I struggle a little bit with it because it's also a challenge. The last startup I did was also a VP Enterprise API for a SaaS company. So it's a challenge I'm personally familiar with. And that's probably why I hesitate a little bit on, on answering with that. But I do think it's one of our challenges, but it's a challenge that I think is exciting. And like I said, the dividends make it absolutely worth it in the end. It's, you know, just things that we need to tackle in the right way with the right approach and we'll be terribly successful in the end. I don't need doubts about that. Now you got to remind me what your other question was. Well, we'll hold on that. We'll go to, we'll go to Grin for her challenge. But yeah, that's great. Thank you for on that. Yeah, for me, as a psychologist, having never been a venture-backed founder, I had a unique challenge of having to learn business really quickly. Psychologists are great at that, by the way. I mean, most of us are small business owners because we had like a private practice or we worked in medical billing. Like, But it is a completely different ballgame when you're dealing with venture capitalists and C-Corps and the level of learning is it, you have to be extremely fast at learning that stuff. So for me, even just like abbreviations were a job attention, understanding, you know, all of these words combined with the fact I then also had to learn, you know, software engineering abbreviations as well. And, and then I already have my like medical one. So there's just like three different languages you got a bowl of alphabet soup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like I had to take kind of my medical knowledge, academia, turn it into business. And I definitely had some like sputtery starts with that. Like I remember kind of trying to be like a business person and be like, empathy will increase your revenue and like ROI. And people like, oh, gross. Like, no, you can't say that. Like, we don't like those words together. So I was like, okay, empathy builds trust and loyalty and reduces tr- you like generally trying to find the business language of like how okay. to explain something that you already know and saw like a million times in your medical field like yes like people like this this matters and then like finding the business get behind it so there obviously is one and you know it's there but for me it was more about like learning how to to speak to those different worlds very cool that's great Anything worth sharing about the future that you're excited about? It could be a challenge. It could be just something coming up. I was going to let Grin go. Go for it, Grin. I went first last on the future. Yeah, I mean, for us, I am extremely excited about our applications on these two verticals and sales, where we're seeing this faster sales cycle, real excitement about our ability to fulfill a promise that a lot of companies, like, not to call them out by name, but things like, you know, Gong and Chorus, they were supposed to help people in real time. But guess what? Like talk time topics that you said and was your tone good and bad is completely not actionable. Like in an insurance call, it's going to be sentiment is red and bad because we're talking about an accident. Does that mean that agent was bad? No. So like we're trying to step in and add this 
psychological layer, this behavior-shaping layer that actually fulfills the promise of replacing the manager and supervisor. And like that is the part that's the most exciting to me to see how we can take this, which we know has proven ROI and applications in medical and bring it into these other verticals and start to see that. And we're already starting to see that. And the other cool thing that I'm looking forward to is, as Brian mentioned, kind of going on this API first journey and seeing, you know, some of the go-to-market challenges that we're having, like, do we make a platform? Some of our customers are saying, hey, I'm adding you on top of this thing that I don't like. Well, why can't you be the thing? It's like, I, I want you to be the platform. So, oh, so wow. there will need to be some decisions that we make as the product evolves. But for me, I'm a researcher. I'm very data-driven. I want to see people play with the APIs, understand how they're implementing it, look at real-time coaching and how it's working and learn from that before we like settle on these things. But just, yeah, a lot of exciting stuff to, to come. Very bold, very bold vision for the future, but not surprising <laughs> considering you you are a finalist for Startup CEO of the Year oh. by GeekWire Award. Just to say it, just to say it. Yes. Which, well, you're a finalist today, but by the time this episode airs... Well, now, either I'm not or... But you know what's funny is oh, come on. two of our customers are also in a, a nominated as CEO. So it's been funny. What One of our customers, Preem, he was posting on LinkedIn. He's like, I'm nominated, but vote for Grin. And I had, ar- I had already put my vote in for myself. And I was like, crap. <laughs> so I'm like running to my husband. I'm like, you're going to go vote for Preem right now. Because I, I didn't ever like trying to do this. But it's been great to have like you know, a group of people that we're working closely with all nominated and I'm looking forward to that. It sounds like you'll be in good company at the, at the top. Yes. <laughs> it's lonely. It's lonely at the top. All right. What about Brian? Anything you're looking forward to challenge ahead? I mean, clearly I'm looking forward to hearing the outcome. <laughs> you know, the year over year. I mean, good answer. Good answer. No, it's <laughs> if he doesn't work for the CEO of the year, it's going to be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, just echo what Grid said. I mean, the exciting thing about being API first is you get the API out there and, you know, I've seen this play out before. You get to see how different people use it in different ways. And that becomes a driver for how the company yes. is built and product and what Empathic becomes. So, you know, I'm just looking forward to getting what we can do out into, you know, folks' hands and seeing what they do with it and, you know, being able to kind of shape our future to all the creative things people do with what we have. I can't wait to see it as well, Brian. I mean, that's what I love about humans. If there's one thing, we're going to be creative. We're going to do crazy things. Who knows? Yeah. What? So last question, I always love to kind of end on something more, more personal and, and just kind of less, less businessy, but what either a story or a vision, a story of how empathy changed somebody's life that you want to share or, or just a vision for what it could do, what it could do for, for us, for, for our world. Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts. Many of the stories that I have, I, I can't actually share because I, you know, as a psychologist, you know, under research, but I can say that these skills are, are transformative. If you can learn, I often say this to people when they're like, well, where do I start? How do I become empathic? Like, it just seems like an amorphous thing. I often tell people, like, just start with repeating back what you hear. A simple reflection. You think you're going to sound like a parrot in a broken record? And like, watch what happens. Go to a party and don't ask a single question of anyone. Just listen to what they say and repeat it back and watch how they start talking. Like, watch what comes out and, and as they start listening. So like, these are, these are basic skills. They're just hard to do if you're not somewhat rigid about your application and stringency and to not talking about yourself and to listening and to like prioritizing this other person. And I've, yeah, seen incredible transformation in families, in relationships, you know, and in my own life, for example, with, you know, folks that are in the engineering or software space, like teaching them these skills and then watching them go into a meeting completely differently than the best go in. But I like the big vision, you know, for me, it's this, like this core concept of empathy is like, could you imagine someone else as like, you or could you imagine their children as your children like could you actually do that thought exercise and that perspective taking and not to say that you will feel for them or you need to be them or you're like in a mind meld or something 
But it's just this idea of if we could all really accurately understand each other and we could do that perspective taking how many problems in the world, you know, not exist. And there are a group of psychologists that do this, that do these kind of radical listening groups and come in and bring in people that just have very different viewpoints and teach listening skills. And the outcome of those is consistently a love for the other person and this humanity. And like, we, we know what to do. Like, we know how to listen to people. But it's just a matter of getting some of these very simple, you know, training tips out there and integrating them where you are so you don't have to go to a special training like that anyone can do this. So that's kind of my big, you know, change the world impact vision. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Brian? Brian, try to follow that now. You already got you already got called out. You already got called out for taking your empathy into these engineering meetings. Yeah. I agree with you, Colin. I'm not I'm not a psychologist, so I can uh, speak more freely. Um <laughs> Uh, yeah, and so, you know, for me, it's a little more like hard approach. I guess my 10 year old daughter came home the other day and she was really upset because her and her brother got into an argument because she felt like she could, it's, it's about a rock. And she felt like she could feel what the rock feels. And she was like really upset because he was like, it's just a rock. I don't know what you're talking about. You're crazy for thinking that you can reflect and understand and have these feelings about a rock. And she was just really shooken up about this. And I joke, she's the probably the most pathetic you know, 10 year old in the pace of playing. Neat. For me, I think if I don't try to do something in my time here to try to make the world uh-huh. a little more empathetic, you're like a mood artist. Oh, it's so sweet. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. Amazing. Well, listen, I just want to thank you both. This has been just such a such an insightful and thoughtful episode. So great to have you both on the podcast. And uh, to, just to sort of wrap up, Grin, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about where they can find you and Brian and Empathic Online? Yeah, you can go to our website, www.empathic with an M M P A T H I C dot AI. And that's the best place to go. We're also on LinkedIn there. We don't have a Twitter account or anything. So go to our website and then you can also reach out to us at hello at empathic.ai if you have specific questions or get in touch with either Brian or I. Thanks. Thank you both. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Found in the Rockies. You can find links in the show notes or go to nextfrontiercapital.com to get transcripts, links, and contact information for today's guests. If you like what you heard and want more, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to get notified as our new episodes drop every two weeks. We'll see you next time.